Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
And good morning. It's good to see you this morning, and it's good to have you here. Good to have those worshiping with us online today, and I hope all is well in your life. Just a couple of things. Uh, deacons, don't forget at the conclusion of the service uh, this morning, we will have our deacons uh, meeting, and uh, we'll have out uh, on uh, the internet, uh, on the website, and on uh, Facebook and all, the, the uh, newsletter, we had to uh, wait till Monday. We had a few things that we weren't sure about, and we were getting those things put together before we put it out. But that'll be out Monday. I know it's a couple of days late, so just forgive us for that. Uh, but it is good to see you this morning. Glad that, that, that you're here, and I uh, hope all is good. Continue to be in prayer for uh, not just our church, but all of our churches as we go through this time of COVID. And I think uh, our plan going forward is to continue to try to hold the ground we've gained, uh, being able to be open at least uh, for the Sunday morning service and, uh, and uh, to, to kind of do a few things like we've been doing. But uh, uh, hopefully uh, we can keep it at bay and nothing pops up in the church that causes us to have to go in a different direction. Also, as we pray, I want you to think about uh, Debbie Hutchinson and Richie. Uh, remember their family as they're going through this time. Uh, our hearts with them and our minds are with them and our prayers are with them. Also, Ms. Clovis Sanderson is going to be having uh, radiation treatment starting on Monday. And she'll be doing that every day for six weeks, just some short uh, radiation uh, uh, therapy. And so we want to be praying for Ms. Clovis and, and thinking about her. In the front of the church this morning also uh, is a couple of boxes. These boxes uh, have been packed by the uh, Women's Missionary Union, WMU ladies. Uh, they've been laboring. They have uh, sewn and crocheted. Uh, there's 52 hats, 62 pants, 10 shirts, and 55 dresses. And all of these are going to Honduras. And uh, they're going to be sending those. And so this morning as we pray, we also want to pray for these boxes uh, in the families that uh, they're going to go to, that they know that we love them and we're praying for them and we lift them up in Christ as well. Honduras has been particularly hit hard hit with COVID as well. So uh, keep, uh, uh, keep that country in your prayers. Anything else? Did I miss anything, Brian? All right. Paintball with the youth coming up. Brian, I have uh, information on that and you guys just shoot him. Uh, many times, full auto, just right there in the whistle part. <laughs> uh, every morning, every morning. Well, let's have a word of prayer, all right? Father, we thank you this morning for your grace and your love. And Lord, this morning, uh, we do want to lift up those that we've mentioned, Debbie and Richie and Clovis and those on our uh, prayer list and those that we think about who are hurting and suffering and those that uh, are just going through the trials uh, and the tough times of life, we, we pray for them. Our hearts go out to them, and we, we know that, Lord, you love them, and we love them. Lord, we also pray for the work that our WMU ladies have done and this, these boxes that are going to be shipped to uh, Honduras. Lord, we pray that the families that receive these boxes will know that these are gifts that have been given in the name of Christ and that our hearts desire more than just to meet a physical need or to help out in any physical way is to reach that spiritual need that they have uh, for knowing you, Jesus. And we pray that, Lord, uh, 
through this testimony and witness, Lord, your love can be made known and real and received uh, in that country. We also pray, Father, for that country as they go through this uh, battle of COVID uh, as well. And Lord, we continue to pray for us and for all of our churches, Lord, that have tried and are continuing to try to open up the doors and keep the doors open to gather together in worship. Lord, we know that uh, there's not um, uh, agreement completely about this. And, and we know, Lord, that there are some states where uh, there's contention between the church and the state. We pray, Lord, for those things. We, we don't look, Father, for there to be contention in life, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, our worship and, and uh, Lord, uh, just uh, the, the work of our government. But, Lord, that's uh, the reality we live in. And, and, Lord, we want to be faithful to you, and we also want to be uh, who we ought to be with our brothers and sisters uh, in this world, that, that Lord, we, we, we provide a good witness and, and that, Lord, we are able to keep uh, your glory uh, just elevated and uh, exalted. Lord, we pray for uh, the service today. We pray for the offerings that come in, the offerings that will be given today. Let those things be uh, used to the kingdom glory. And just draw close to us, Jesus, as we seek to draw close to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with us as we continue to worship together.
God is always there, and for the Christian, in the end, just remember, we win. We're going to see that victory.
thank you. We thank you for who you are, for how holy you are, for how righteous you are, Father. We thank you that you've given us that promise, and we know how this ends, God, that we will see a victory through you. I pray, God, that you just keep our spirits up, God. Help us just to be the light in the dark, God. Help us to be what people need right now, Father. We just thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy, come to the table.
Jesus is waiting. God so loved the world. Father God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you would rather come here and down across in our place than to spend all eternity without us. And we thank you that you have made a way for us to come to know you by your death on the cross for our sins and your resurrection. You are there every day, all the time, making intercession for us. And we can never say thank you enough. There's nothing we can do to repay it. It is simply by your grace. And we thank you today, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we ask it. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Take your Bible this morning and please open to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. We're in our series, The God Questions, and we're exploring the, the, the great questions or the tough questions of life. And uh, so far we've looked at, we looked at the real big question, is God real? Does he exist? Is there really a God? And then we looked at the why of evil, uh, that is, uh, evil in this world, the origin of evil, the beginning of evil, the entrance of evil, and then what that means uh, in our faith of uh, 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 belief in the Bible and belief with God. Why doesn't God do something about evil? We answer that question. And then last week, we uh, talked about how can a loving God, if he is so loving, send people to hell? And we answered that question as well. When I was thinking about those three questions that we've already looked at, I realized it wasn't intended, but uh, I think maybe the Spirit had done this. Uh, the way that it worked out, we looked at the, the, what we call that heavenly uh, view, and then we looked at an earthly view with evil, and then a hellish view with hell itself. And uh, we're going to come back to that middle part, the earth now, and probably that's where we're going to be in the continuation of this series as we go forward. I know both today and then next time that we're together and uh, uh, a couple more times beyond that from what's in my heart and mind, looking at what I call the squishy stuff in the middle, that the place where we live in life itself. And I want to think with you this morning about the topic of suffering, and you can give a title to it, just uh, ask the question, why me, God? And I want to look at Romans 8 with you in just a moment, but before we get there, I want to give you a few other verses to consider. A couple out of uh, the book of Job. Job chapter 3, verse 11. We all know the story of Job, Job's suffering. And Job asked the question, why did I not die at birth? And come out of the womb and expire. In other words, why did I have to even be born? That's how hard Job's life was, how tough it was. And then in Job 7 verse 20, he even asked God the question, Why have you set or made your mark on me? Why have you put your mark on me? Why have you singled me out? Why, what have I done, God, to deserve this is the question. And then we think about uh, Gideon in Genesis, uh, uh, Judges 6, verse 13. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? In my study this week, I uh, can't remember who said it, but someone uh, did say it in, in one of the readings that I had that this question, why me God, perhaps is the oldest question in all of the world. 
In part, we would say that because uh, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And uh, we could go back to Adam and Eve. Uh, and I'm sure they at some point asked the question, why? At some point, every person asked that question in life. Just give it a little time and you'll wonder why. Why, God, did this happen to me? Why? Maybe you've been there. It comes just pretty much to everybody. It, it comes to the child who finds themselves being bullied at school. Why, God? Why is this happening to me? It, it comes to the teenager who has maybe felt left out of the in-group and felt picked on, and, and, and they're asking the question, why me, God? It comes to the college graduate that has got out of school, got a degree, and can't seem to find a career or a job or a footing to get going, and says, you know, why? Why me, God? Why, why am I the one that is suffering here? It, it comes to the, to the husband and to the father who just lost his job or to the mom that just lost her job, and she's the one that has to provide for the family. She might be a single mom. Maybe uh, she has a, a special needs child. And, and she asks the question, God, why is all this happening to me? It, it comes to the person who gets sick. It comes to the one that gets COVID. It comes to the one that gets cancer. And, and they get that bad news from the doctor. And they, in their suffering, ask the question, why? Why? I would dare say that probably all of us here this morning have asked that question in our prayers at some time or another. It cuts across all ages, all incomes, all ethnicities, all faiths, and all beliefs. So can we have an answer to that question? Well, I believe that we can get an answer to that question, and in part we get it in Romans 8. So I want you to look with me in Romans 8, and we're going to look at verses 18 through verse 25, and that might surprise you because when I mentioned Romans 8, you may have thought, well, we're going to look at Romans 8, 28. And we know that verse, all things work to the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And when we're going to talk about that, that's not the primary focus. So in Romans 8, beginning of verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings, underscore that word, sufferings, that's our topic, of this present time, that's the squishy stuff in the middle, that's the place in which we live, that's life itself, what we know. So the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the Creator, now the attention turns to God. He's the one we usually ask, isn't he? Why God? Why God? Well, God, we are told, now waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We were in, uh, we, uh, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. You can just put the word suffering together there. In the pains of childbirth unto now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. He's talking to Christians, capital S, the Holy Spirit. He's talking to believers who are suffering. Those who groan inwardly, those who suffer in quietness, those who suffer uh, in faith is what he's talking about. He says, who groan inwardly as we wait 
eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Well, there is so very much there uh, for us to unpack this morning. And there's a lot of uh, different points that we're going to cover. The key verse there, of course, verse 18, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of the present time aren't worth comparing uh, with the glory that is yet to be re revealed to us, or you might put the word given to us. What that verse means basically is this, for the Christian, we will suffer. We will suffer in this world and that God is doing a work. Someone once said, be kind to everyone you meet, for everyone you meet is fighting a battle. Isn't that true? Everyone you meet is fighting some problem, some hurt, some issue in life. They may not be hurting on the level that you hurt. It may not be quite as personal to you as your hurt is to you. But we are all in that same boat together we call life. We're all on that, uh, that sea journey together, sailing across this sea of time between that uh, beginning uh, of our life and eternity to come. And every now and then, in our journey, in our boat, we hit a storm. And we wonder, is this it? The problem of pain has always been with us. It's been with us since the very beginning. And that's what Romans 8 tells us. It carries us all the way back to Genesis 1. And uh, the story of the beginning of God creating Adam and Eve. And then we get to Genesis 3 and we see the sin, we see the fall. And we see pain enter into the life of those first two people. The philosophers, since the beginning of time, have really been trying to answer this question, to deal with the problem of pain. And they really haven't ever come up with a good answer. Uh, Epicurus, a Greek philosopher, put it this way. He said, either God wishes to take away evil and he's unable, or he is able and unwilling or he is neither willing or able, or he is both willing and able, if he is willing but unable. He is feeble, which is not in accordance with the character of God, if he is able and unwilling. He is envious, which is uh, equally at variance with God. If he is neither willing nor able, he is both envious and feeble, and therefore not God. If he is both willing and able, which alone is suitable for God. For what source then are evils? Why then doesn't he remove them? Now, the long short of that is basically why God? Why? Because it doesn't make any sense. You're loving, you're kind, you're God, you're all powerful. Why do we have to go through suffering? The questions we ask may not sound quite as in-depth as that philosopher, but our questions are what? Why do good people suffer? I've been a good person. I've been a good Christian. I've been faithful. I, I've been a giver. I've been a doer for the kingdom, God. Why? should I suffer? Why us? Why must I go through this pain? Why must I go through this suffering? Well, I want to give you this morning what I want to call some reasons for suffering. Actually, I want to give you seven reasons, and you can say plus one, seven that are reasons and one that really is not a reason, and I'll explain that to you when I get there. 
But I want you to see, as we pull from the Bible, why they're suffering. And so we're going to move quickly, and you'll have to listen quickly as we go through these. Number one, reason number one is the reason of depravity. Listen to Ephesians 2, verse 3. It says, for we are by nature children of wrath. In other words, there's something in us, in our nature, that is wrong. There's something in us that is broken. The Apostle Paul said, the whole creation groans and is in travail, that is, in childbirth of pain. In Genesis 2, God said to Adam, Adam, if you disobey me, if you eat of this forbidden fruit, of this forbidden tree, in the day that you eat, you will surely die. In other words, you're going to suffer. There's going to come pain in your life. There's going to come loss in your life. Well, we know the story. Adam and Eve both disobeyed God. And when they did, sin entered into the world, and by sin, death entered into this world. You can say that it's been hardwired in our DNA. We have bad DNA. I've got bad genes in my family. Uh, my family tend to puff up when they eat donuts. It's bad genes. That's what it is. I, I tell Pam, she says, you know, lay off the donuts. I said, well, Pam, I can't help it. It's the bad genes. You know, I eat them and I puff up. That's how it, how it works with us Rigby's. You know, we, we all have these genes that sometimes give us, you know, bad traits, right? But well, all of us have the, the, the gene of depravity. It's been passed along from birth to birth to birth to birth. It goes all the way, way, way back to our forever great-great-granddaddy, Adam. Now listen, not only do we suffer because we have the seeds of depravity in us, but dear friend, we also are friends with other people. And guess what? They've got the same seeds of depravity in them. So not only do you have bad DNA, those people that you run with, family, friends, and neighbors, they've got bad DNA. And because of their sins, they're suffering as well. Not only do you have bad DNA and friends and family have bad DNA, do you know that the very ground that we stand on, walk on, live on, has got bad genes in it. The ground in which we stand on has been cursed. Genesis 3 verse 17, and God said to Adam and Eve, cursed is the ground for thy sake. Because of you, because of your sin, because of what the door you open, this world itself will now suffer. That's why in Scripture we read that the, listen, the whole creation groans and travails in pain. Animals suffer. Uh, our world suffers. Uh, suffering is in this world because man first opened up the door to sin. Depravity is a reason by which this world knows and experiences suffering. When Noah came out of the ark, he and Mrs. Noah, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, God said to them in Genesis 8.22, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, he said, shall not cease. Basically, God said this, Guys, sometimes it's going to be cold, sometimes it's going to be hot, 
Sometimes it's going to be good. Sometimes it's going to be not. Sometimes it's going to be pleasant, and sometimes it's going to be painful. That's just going to be what you experience from this moment forward. And guess what? That's exactly the way life works, isn't it? The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So depravity has made this world in a way that has come into this world that has made this world a broken place. We are broken people living in a broken world in a broken environment. A second reason that there's suffering, disobedience, the Bible says. This is reason number two. We suffer because of the disobedient factor. Sometimes we suffer not because of other people or not because of our ancestors like Adam and Eve and not because of our environment of this world in which we live. Sometimes, let's confess it, we suffer just because, guess what? We sin. We sin, and when we sin, suffering comes into our life. Now, let me say that this is sometimes the reason, but not every time the reason. You remember in the Bible, Jesus was passing along, and he came across uh, one who was suffering. The question was, well, well who, who's at fault here? His parents or him? Did he do some sin? And God, uh, Jesus said, it's neither his parents or him, but it was for the glory of God. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But my point is, sometimes it is because of sin, and sometimes it's not. But we're talking about for right now that problem of disobedience, that problem of sin. And by the way, there are three ways in which, and I'm talking to Christians, that we're judged. Did you know that? Three ways. Let me give those to you. First of all, we're judged as sinners. Our judgment as sinners took place at Calvary. That's the judgment that came when Christ died. Romans 8 verse 1, therefore is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And as a, as a Christian, being judged as a sinner at Calvary means that we will never, ever be judicially judged for our sins. Listen, one half of one cent, uh, one sin put on our account would send us to hell forever. But God has said that judgment has been passed forever. You have been forgiven. We have settled our case out of court. We settled it at Calvary. Jesus suffered and bled and died for us that our sin might be atoned for. And now never, ever, ever Will God bring up our sins, past sins, present sins, or even future sins, to judge us? Hallelujah. Praise God. We have been through the judgment of sinners. The Bible says there's a second judgment for believers. It is the judgment of servants. Now, this judgment is the judgment by which you and I are judged by rewards what God will grace us with and gift us with in heaven. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So it's a judgment of rewards. It's what God will gift us with and reward us with according to our servants. Now that judgment has not happened yet, but as Christians we await it. And then there's a third judgment by which Christians 
will be judged, and that is the judgment as sons. This is the one that is happening now. Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 11, God speaks about this judgment. He calls it chastening. For he says, whom the father loves, he chastens, and uh, he scourges, that is, he spanks them, every son whom he receives. And in uh, that same chapter in verse 6, he says, if you endure chastening, that is, uh, punishment, uh, this judgment that uh, I give, God says, that I deal with you as sons, then for whom what son uh, is he that the father has chastened not? In other words, you know that you are a child of God because he loves you enough to chasten you. And then verse 7, he says, if you are not chastened, then you are illegitimate and you're not a true child of God. And in verse 8, he says, if you were a child and you behave that way, well, God says, I basically would have carried you to the woodshed. So if you have suffered because of disobedience, because of your sin, uh, it has been, perhaps, as a Christian, that God has chastened you in his love. Now, let me say there's some kids today, we've raised a whole generation that has no idea what the woodshed is. You, we, we sometimes need to bring back a little bit of chastening, I think, in this world. We would live in a little better world, but that's a side note. But suffering happens because of depravity and because of disobedience. And suffering happens because of, here's the third reason, dependence. Reason number three. I believe that sometimes we suffer because God, listen, and this is going to surprise you, wants for us to suffer. God wants for us to go through some pain. God wants us to go through trial. God wants us to go through tribulation. Why? That we can learn to be dependent upon him. God loves us. God knows what's best for us. And he knows that if we're, if we're not so loved by him, that we could try to be independent of him. The Apostle Paul experienced this himself. Let me ask you something. Are you as good a Christian as the Apostle Paul? If you're like me, you're saying, oh, no, I'm nowhere near the kind of Christian Paul was. What a faithful Christian Paul was. Well, let me ask you something. If Paul didn't escape a little suffering in life because God wanted to be sure that Paul kept his dependency upon him, how much more do you and I perhaps not ought to expect that we might go through some heartache in life so God can teach us to be dependent on him? Paul says, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. He said, I asked God. I didn't ask God just once. I repeatedly asked God. I asked God over and over and over. And God said, nope, this is for you. This is a gift to you. This is a grace gift to you. It wasn't a gift that Paul wanted. It certainly was one he was willing to get rid of. But yet God said, no, I want you to have it. And Paul said, now I know why, because he loved me. Could it be, dear friend, God is ready, writing across your life the big red words, I love you, in the pain and the tribulation that you're going through? A third reason we suffer sometimes is dependence. A fourth reason, it's close to the third, but it's a little different, development. Not only is God teaching us, he's developing us. Dear friend, we are a work in progress. We are the clay. He is the potter. He is working on us. He is developing us. He's teaching us, for example, 
things like patience. I want to tell you, you know, the only way patience can be developed is tried. You ever thought about that? I mean, you don't just get patience. You learn patience, don't you? I mean, you have to experience something that causes you to, to be patient, to hold your patience. I've learned to be careful what I ask God for. I mean, for example, you be careful praying for patience. I've known Christians, you know, Lord, I'm short on patience, and I want to ask you to help me with my patience. Well, be careful of, uh, of that because God may just give you what you want. And it may not be all that fun. Romans 5.3 says tribulation works patient. James tells us that trials and tribulation are tied to patience. Reason number five, demonic. Sometimes we suffer at the hands of the devil, of old Satan, of Lucifer, and his rotten foe of demons. Now that may come as a surprise to you, but sometimes the, the, the trouble we're in comes from Satan himself. Satan can cause suffering. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That is who he can cause pain, who's he, who he can cause hurt to, who he can uh, uh, destroy. Now let me just say, I do not believe that a child of God can ever be demon-possessed. All right? I do not believe that a child of God that holds the Spirit of God, the indwelling of the Spirit of God, can ever be possessed by a demon. But it doesn't mean that as a child of God we cannot be oppressed by a demon. And I believe there are many of the children of God who are under demonic oppression. That is, Satan is, is pushing on them, uh, 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 warring against them. Job suffered at the hand of Satan. But let me say this, Job is encouraging because what? What we find in the book of Job is that Satan's ability to, to bring trial was limited. In other words, he had to first get God's permission, and second, he had to get God's load limit. The Bible says that there is a load limit on your life. And Satan cannot put more on us than what God says we can handle. Now, I know that you may feel like your bridge is about to break. All right, I get that. But I want to say something to you. I want you to listen to me. Draw close. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows you better than you know yourself. God's kind of like that coach that knows his player. He's out there pushing that player in the, in the heat and the sun, and the sweat of the day. And he's saying, come on, son. Come on, young man. Come on, young lady. Give me one more. Give me one more push-up. Give me one more sprint. Give me one more throw. Give me one more hit. And the coach knows we can give one more. We may not feel like we can give one more, but he knows. He knows our limit. And Satan can't go beyond that limit. Reason number six, devotion. Sometimes we suffer because of the devotion factor. Sometimes it's in order that God may be glorified. 
I believe the clearest and the purest glory given to God most often comes by way of suffering. That's what Jesus said when someone asked, what, why is this man suffering? He said, it was for the glory of God, that God's glory could be seen. Psalm 50 and verse 15 is a wonderful verse. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and, I, and, and, and will glorify me and you shall glorify me. Sickness sometimes bring God, brings God glory. John 11 verse 4, Lazarus is sick. Jesus heard he was sick. And Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. But that Lazarus did die. But Jesus also said this, this sickness that Lazarus has is for the glory of God. Jesus knew what? Lazarus would die, but Jesus knew he would also stand outside that, that cemetery, outside that uh, grave, and he would call Lazarus out, and Lazarus would jump up and come out. And listen, there was no denying. Jesus is God. Jesus proved his might over death in that miracle, and he gave God glory. Giving God glory sometimes means we will suffer. Now, I, I know giving glory to God may be the furthest thing from your heart. I, I know that in your pain and in your suffering and in your hurt, you might say, yeah, I love God, but trust, you, trust me, Pastor, I don't want to be suffering, and I don't really care so much about giving God the glory. I just know I hurt. I just know that I'm suffering. I just know this, this is agony. And I get that. But I can tell you and I can promise you according to the Bible that one day what may be the furthest from your heart today will be the surest thing in your heart then. You see, what will change is what? Perception. When we actually stand before the holy God of heaven and earth and creation and we behold his glory, his beauty, his holiness, his righteousness, we're going to be glad to be able to say, God, thank you for letting me give glory in my life even in suffering. A seventh reason, declaration. Tied to devotion a little bit, but a little different. 2 Corinthians uh, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Sometimes we suffer so we can experience God's comfort so that we can share the comfort of God who need to know that God is real and that God loves them. One of the greatest testimonies that we have is the comfort that God has given us that we can pass on to others in our hurting. The greatest comfort that we have also comes in what? Knowing that in like manner Christ suffered as we did. Isn't it one of the wonderful things about our Savior? You know one of the things that makes Jesus so beautiful to me 
is I know that my Savior knows what it is to hurt. Jesus knows what it is to be rejected. Jesus knows what it is to be betrayed. Jesus knows what it is uh, to be wounded. Jesus knows what it is to be mocked. Jesus knows what it is to be made fun of. Jesus knows. Look, you name the pain. You name the hurt. You name whatever it is, and Jesus knows it. Jesus doesn't just know about it. Jesus knows it because he went through it. How far to the point of suffering did Jesus go? He went this far, folks. To his last breath. And his heart stopped beating. And his blood stopped pulsing through his body. And his brain stopped pulsing and communicating. And his body went limp and hung as dead weight on an old wooden cross. Jesus went all the way in suffering. He knows our hurt. Now, I told you I'd give you seven reasons suffering happens and one reason that's really not a reason, but it is a reason. And that's the eighth thing, darkness. There's a darkness factor. Sometimes we don't know why. Sometimes you can't say why. I had to look a mother in her eye when she asked me the question, why, Brother Chris? And tell her, I don't know why. Your one-month-old baby is gone. I don't know why God would give you just one month with that precious little child. I don't know. There are a lot of times in life we don't have an answer. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways above your ways. There are some things in life, and we said this about evil, some things are just a mystery. There are some things God sometimes tells us an answer to, and sometimes there are things that God says, not now. Wait. Till you get to heaven. But even in the darkness, dear friend, there's still a place to hold on to. There's still one who has a grip on you, and that's God. You hold on to the person of God, and you hold on to the promise of God. As Christians, we don't live by explanation. We, we live by expectation in his promise. We didn't read it, but we know it's there in Romans 8, and we'll look at it now, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work to good for those who call according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28, it's a promise that's made to the child of God and only to the Christian. It's, a, it's, it, it's, it's given just to believers, and it's a promise it's a promise that whatever is going on in our life, however bad, however, however horrible it is, that God says, that hurt, that heartache, I'm going to turn to a hallelujah. A hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Now, I don't know where you are this morning, and 
your life. And you may be in that point of, God, why me? But can I tell you, dear friend, that the best answer that I can give you is because God loves you. And God's got a hold of your life. And you're in his hand, and he will never, no, never, no, never let go of you. Heavenly Father, this morning, perhaps someone's here, someone's listening by way of our multimedia. And in their life, they confess, you know, God, I'm trying to do this hard thing of life. I'm sailing on this sea of life. And Lord, I'm not even in the right boat. I'm not in the boat with Jesus. And I need a promise. I need a person in my hurt. I'm in that darkness. And I'm alone. And I see in your word that that even God, your children, go through trial and tribulation and heartache and hurt. And, And I see perhaps, God, for the first time that, Jesus, you went all the way in like hurt and sorrow and suffering. And today, Jesus, I want to come to you, and I want to give my burden. I want to give my sins. I want to give everything that's weighting me down and hurting me. I want to lay them at the foot of your cross and just take hold of you, Jesus, and ask you to be my precious Savior and Lord. But I can hold now that promise of your comfort and your care. Lord, maybe it's a Christian today that says, well, I I know I'm a Christian, I know I'm saved, but I have forgotten that, God, you've got a hold of me. My eyes have been on the pain. My eyes have been on the storm, and I've begun to sink in my faith. But Jesus, just like Peter, you've reached out your hand this morning, and your spirit is lifting me up and telling me to hold on because you're holding on to me. Lord, today we know that whatever pain we're going through may not go away because we prayed this prayer or because we've knelt before you and made this confession. Lord, it may may even get more intense. We don't know what your will may be or what the work may be or the reason. But God, what we can know is your presence and your power and your strength. And Lord, that's what we're looking for today. So all who are hurting and those that need to come to you, this morning let them grab hold of you. Make that commitment and make that decision. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing this morning if the Lord spoke. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you, and we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.